the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God has been calling the nation of Israel to love Him supremely. Moses, through several speeches, has listed out how God would bless the nation if they humbly obeyed the laws and statutes given them. They were to be a unique people, wholly devoted to God in everything they did. God desired them to walk close with Him and to not forget their covenant when they enter the Promised Land. But God knew that the people would eventually turn away from Him and not choose life. God, however, is abundantly merciful. And in His mercy, He gave instructions for the nation on how to go about repenting and returning to Him. We saw last time how the nation, both individually and corporately, would have to choose to repent of their sins should they choose to live in disobedience. We continue to see what true repentance looks like in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. Verse 10. If you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn or return unto the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, again here we see very clearly that if they will hearken unto his voice, that means his word. If they will listen to his commandments and his statutes. We've learned throughout Deuteronomy because he keeps saying those words over and over again. His commandments are his will, what he wants me to do. His statutes are his standard, what is right and what is wrong. Genuine repentance, it always bends the knee in those two areas. It says, God, I am willing and I am going to line my life up with what you say is right and I'm going to leave behind what you say is wrong. That is what happens when genuine repentance occurs. It starts with understanding that it's my fault I'm in the mess I'm in, but God offers forgiveness and then I must choose to change. I must choose to turn around and go in a different direction. To line my life up with what he says is right and to leave behind what he says is wrong. It's when I say, I'm going to do what you want me to do from now on, Lord. I can't think of any way that that's more illustrated than in the life of Paul. You remember he's Saul of Tarsus and he's arresting Christians, dragging them before the magistrates, finding them guilty, sometimes murdering them or doing physical harm to them. And then what happens on the road to Damascus? Jesus, bright light comes. Saul falls to the ground, blind. He can't see, but he can hear a voice. The voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why have you been persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. It's been hard for you to kick against the goads, hasn't it? Been trying to get your attention, but you keep pushing me away. And what's Saul's response in that moment? The most repentant response you can get. He says, what do you want me to do, Lord? I mean, that's it. Acts 9, 6. Go read it. What do you want me to do, Lord? Prior to that, you read the beginning of the chapter, Paul had a plan. He had letters from the Sanhedrin to go to Damascus, a foreign city, to go arrest those who called on the name of Jesus. He already had a plan. He had probably the next work for the next few months lined up. But in that moment, when he's confronted with Jesus and he realizes 
what he's done. He says, what do you want me to do, Lord? And then he gets his marching orders from the Lord and all the other plans, they're gone. They're gone. Salvation, it's not complicated. (laughs) Neither is walking with the Lord. God hasn't hidden what's right and what's wrong. He didn't leave it for us to figure it out on our own. It's our job to respond to it because he spelled it out clearly by giving us his word. So here in verses 11 through 14, Moses explains the simplicity of pleasing God, the simplicity of walking with God. He says to them in verse 11, for this commandment which I command you this day, it is not hidden from you. In other words, what God says is understandable. The commandment he's referring to here, this commandment, it's all the commands that are included in their covenant with God. The moral commands, the civil commands, the ceremonial commands. Everything we've been studying from Genesis to Deuteronomy. He says, all that stuff, it's not hidden from you. Now, we think of hidden like it's something that can't be seen. But the word here, hidden, it actually means difficult to understand or incomprehensible. He says, my word is not difficult to understand or incomprehensible. What's the point there? Well, here's the point. The Bible is understandable if you will take time to understand it. When I was in middle school and high school, I would barely read my textbook, if at all. Um, I'd pay attention in class just enough to get by. There was this really pretty girl who sat behind me. I ended up marrying her. She was slightly distracting. So when tests came, I got C's, high D's. So I'd end up with C's and B's when I could have gotten A's if I just applied myself. When I gave my life to Christ, I knew that needed to change. So I started taking notes in class. I asked my teacher questions. I would reread my textbook after the lesson. And guess what? I got straight A's from that point on, except at art class. But that's a whole different reason why. I remember I had a C in art class and I had to beg my teacher to do extra credit so I could get a B. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying. I just, I can't draw things. I remember, I remember Joel was young, and, and one of the things he loved was dolphins. And we had sea roll passes, and he loved dolphins. And mommy would always draw him dolphins, and Beverly's a very gifted artist. And, and so he'd say, Dad, Dad, draw me a dolphin. And so I drew him a dolphin, and he looked at me, and he looked at the paper, and he laughed. And he goes, that's not a dolphin. And when I went to college, I did the same thing. I, I studied hard. I read my textbook. I stayed after if I needed to. And I ended up on the dean's list each semester. Now, certainly portions of the Bible require a little bit more study than others. I wouldn't recommend going into the last eight chapters of Ezekiel as your first Bible study. But even just a casual in amount of investment into Bible study will make the Scripture come alive to you. All of my kids at some point, some will get to this place, but the older ones have already gotten to the place where I, I taught them how to do inductive Bible study. I'm not an inductive Bible study expert, you know, and I'm, I'm not even necessarily a good teacher at things. I, I do okay here because I have a Bible in front of me. Get me outside of there and I become even more long-winded than I am here. I didn't give them a ton of tools, but I just explained how you can look at the Scripture, observe some things, do some studying, get the correct interpretation and find out, and, and then apply it to your life. I've done that with, with both the boys, and I'm blown away by what they would come up with when they would share with me when we, we would do a Bible study together or they're just sharing with me what they're doing on their own time. Now, that's not because they're like the smartest individuals in the world, although I think my boys are smart. That's not why. It's because they invested some time. If you're going to just casually read your Bible, not put any time into it, and expect to understand it, you're not going to come away with anything better than if you stepped into a calculus class and didn't pay attention and then got a test. But if you even put in just a little bit of investment, the Bible, the Scripture will begin to come alive to you because God didn't make it incomprehensible. It just requires some investment. 
what God says is understandable, but what God says is also within our reach. He says, neither is it far off. It's not beyond your reach is what that means. It's interesting, many novels or movies, they're just stories about a hero attempting an impossible task or obtaining an impossible object. Even romance stories are like that. You know, if you go to watch a chick flick, you know, it's about the, the girl who wants the guy, but you know, the guy's not interested in her or doesn't know she's interested in him. Either way, it's the same thing. There's always some impossible task out there, some, you know, some quest that they're on to, to achieve something or to get something. And you cheer for them, you know, as they're moving towards it and you groan with their failures because they're working so hard to get that impossible thing. What God wants us to do, in other words, what is right and what is wrong, it's not like that at all. It's right in front of us. It doesn't require some heroic task and so now you've got some portion of the scripture that no one else has and you've got the secret to life. It doesn't require you to you know, climb a mountain. It doesn't require you to slay a dragon or to de- defeat some foe so that you can all of a sudden get access to the truth. I simply need to read it. He says, it is not in heaven that you should say who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it down unto us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us so we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near unto you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. It's right in front of us. I simply need to read it. It's right there in my mouth. And then apply it to my life. It's in my heart. And then choose to obey it, to do it. It's right there. Read it, apply it to your life, and then live it out. Paul takes this whole section of scripture and he applies it to salvation in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. He says, but what says the righteousness that comes by faith? And then he quotes this whole section. And then he says, therefore, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that sound complicated? Because it's not. <laughs> it's not complicated. And it also applies to walking with Jesus. What's Moses' point? Moses' point is he's telling the people, God has promised to do all the heavy lifting. He gave us his word. He'll change us on the inside. He'll cultivate that love and trust in him so we can live it out. But he won't make the choice for us. We have to choose to do it. Which brings us to the end of the chapter, verses 15 through 20. It's time to choose. Life or death, Israel. He says to them in verse 15, see, which means you must understand or you must become aware of this. You need to understand this, that the choice to whether you're going to love God or not, follow him or not, is yours. Whether you're going to be in his word or not, that is your choice. God's not going to make you do that. So you have to choose. He'll do all the heavy lifting if you choose to do that. But you've got to choose to do that. You've got to choose to love him supremely. See, he says, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. Now, good there means that which is desirable, that which benefits you. As you can imagine, death and evil is that which is undesirable, that which is of bad quality. I usually put death in the category of bad quality. I'm not looking forward to any more death. So Moses doesn't make it complicated. Give him two options. If they wanted life and good benefits, well then, verse 16, in that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land whether you go to possess it. If they want that, that life and good, that needs to be their choice. If they want death and bad times, verse 17, but if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, it shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. He says, I denounce or I warn you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whether you pass over Jordan to go to possess it. 
very few people wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I don't want life and good benefits. I want death and bad times. Some people do. People that go and shoot up a school and then take their own life. Some do. But most people don't. Most people don't. That's not the part that they need to understand. What they need to understand is that a choice to live by verse 16 or verse 17 is how they pick one of those two options. See, if they choose to love God supremely, to follow him by obeying his will, his heart, and his standard, then that's choosing the life option. See, how you choose the life option is by saying, God, I'm going to love you supremely. How do you choose the death and bad quality stuff, evil option? Well, if you choose to not love God supremely, just choose to tune out his word and serve other gods, so that's choosing the death option. And that's what I must become aware of as well. That's what you must become aware of in your own decision-making each day. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul basically says something very similar to us. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh... So of the flesh reap corruption, things that die. But he that sows to the Spirit shall reap life everlasting. The point is this. You and I don't need to grab a pitchfork in the morning and cackle madly at God to choose a bad marriage or a bad witness or to remain lost. All I need to do is just tune God's word out, love other things more than him. Do you understand that? That's something we need to understand. It doesn't have to be this active rebellion against God where I just say, God, I hate you and want nothing to do with you. If I want to have bad things, I want to have bad marriage, I want to have a bad relationship with my kids, I want to have a bad you know, witness and testimony in the world, or if I want to remain lost and never know Christ, all I need to do is tune God's word out and love other things more than him. In light of that, Moses says to him, denounce you. Denounce you is probably too harsh of a word. It simply means to declare. He says, I declare unto you, if that's what you choose, if you choose to tune God out and to love other things more than him, he says, if you do that, he says, you shall surely perish. And you won't prolong your days upon the land where you pass over to go to possess it. Now, this was a man who had stuck up for them when God wanted to destroy them. But here he says, there's nothing I or anyone else can do to help you if that's your choice. If you choose to ignore God, tune him out, love other things more than him, then you will fail. You will be ruined and you will miss out on all that God has for you. So he says, please listen to what I'm saying and make the right choice. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And here it is. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. He pleads with them to choose life. He says, I call all of heaven and earth to record this day, to serve as witnesses, all of angels and all of humanity, all created beings to serve as witnesses to what I'm telling you this day. You know, no one in Israel would be able to say, well, we didn't know. My kids do that sometimes. Well, I didn't know you wanted me to do that. That will never be an acceptable excuse to the Lord. and It's not an acceptable excuse to me. I tell my kids, I say, well, I told you. You know, it's not that you didn't know, you just didn't remember. Well, I didn't hear you say that. Well, then that's impetus to pay a little bit closer attention next time, isn't it? You say, Pastor, well, that's harsh. No, I only have my kids for a finite amount of time and I have no intention of cutting them loose on the world as irresponsible human beings. 
They're going to understand that right is right, wrong is wrong, wrong has consequences, and you can't live that way and have it be okay. Now, God is certainly merciful, and I'm often merciful, especially when I see contrition on their heart. But if all I get is excuses, then very, there's not going to be a whole lot of mercy because there's not going to be a whole lot of mercy when I come to God and say, well, God, it's not fair that you did this to me because, you know, I didn't really know what you said. The Lord's going to go, well, that's pride. You're actually, what you're telling me is you deserve better, so I, I'm the one that made the mistake, not you. And anytime you do that, God will resist you. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you come and you just own it and go, God, I blew it. I wasn't paying attention. I, I should have known this. You know, I, I've had believers come to me and say, Pastor, well, I've been in church for X amount of years, and I, my life's just been a wreck. I, di- I didn't really pay attention. Oh, I, I was there, but I didn't really pay attention, and I didn't live it out. I didn't make it important, and now my life's a mess. I say, well, that's okay. You're willing to tell God that, because the minute you humble yourself and you tell God that, and you, you repent, he can do a work. If you keep making excuses and blame him and say it's really his fault, he didn't make it clear enough, or it was too hard, or whatever, 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 then he'll resist you. But if you humble yourself, he'll give you grace. And he can not only restore, but he'll make it even better. So therefore, since there are no legitimate excuses, he says, choose life, choose life. And just in case they weren't sure still how to choose life, he reminds them in verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice, and that you may cleave unto him. That means to fasten yourself to him, to stay close to him. It's the same word used for marriage in Genesis 3 when it says, therefore shall a man leave his father, or Genesis 2 when it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. It says, cleave to him. Why? For he is thy life. Kind of what we talked about this morning. Like, life isn't about this, this, and this, but life is about knowing him and his ways. He comes to this place, and it's like Moses. You know, he just encapsulates it in four words or five words. For he is your life. What other life is there out there? What other life are you going to find? What's out there worth looking for? You know, he is thy life. And the length of thy days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord God swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. You know, I can't think of a more definitive statement for following God than this. He is thy life. John 1, 4, it says, John 1, 3, it says, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Why? Because in him was life. And that life was the light of men. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life. And that more abundantly. In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and your son, Jesus Christ. People say, oh, the Bible's written by all these different authors, contradicts itself. I'm like, you ain't reading the same book. It's got a single theme all through it. He is thy life. This is what life is, Jesus said. I could try all sorts of things to find life, but true life, really living, is clinging to Jesus. Because no matter who or what you may lose around you, you'll never lose him if he's your life. He can't be taken from you. He can't end. And not even death can stop him. Jesus in eleven twenty five and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He is thy life and thy length of days. Romans 8, 35 to 39, that powerful text at the end of Paul's teaching, a triumphant text, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? And what are you going through right now that's hard? It can't separate you from Jesus. Shall distress? I mean, you're just like, got all these things that are pressing in on you and you don't know what to do? That can't separate you from the love of Christ. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Nakedness? Nope. Peril? Nope. Sword? 
As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, for we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Even if your life is taken, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We win, we prevail through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, absolutely convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you tonight, are you really living? Is Jesus your life? Maybe you're thinking, okay, Pastor, will I get it? I'll do better. I'll be a better Christian. <laughs> well, just as choosing death isn't complicated, you just got to you know, tune out the Lord and love, love other things more than him. Choosing life isn't complicated either. It's not about self-improvement. It's, it's about choosing to love God supremely, choosing to do what he says, choosing to stay close to him so that he can change you, so that he can do his work in your life. And that's what Moses urges Israel to do on this important day, a day of decision. It's the same decision you and I make every day. Paul, after telling the Romans all that God had done for them in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he says in chapter 12, verse one, therefore, brethren, I beseech you because of the mercy that God's shown to you, this great salvation, this grace God's shown to you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. That's what he tells us to do. Present your body a living sacrifice to God. He goes on to say this. He says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's our part to do? We present our bodies to God as fully surrendered. I don't present my body to God as perfect already. I present it to him as just surrendered. And what he says is he'll transform us. He'll renew our minds. He'll circumcise our hearts. And that our lives then will prove, will show what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our lives will reflect his will, his standard, his heart. When we look at Romans 12, it's interesting because it's in the aorist tense, which means it's kind of a one-time decision thing. But we read all throughout Romans, he uses the same language in other areas in the present tense, which means it's something we, we kind of do on a regular basis too. But maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never come to the place where you've just surrendered everything to the Lord. You, you believe in Christ, you're, you're saved, you've given your life to him, but, but you've never come to that place where you've said, God, I'm gonna love you supremely. Or maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've presented yourself in surrender to the Lord. Either way, tonight can be the first of many nights that you change that, right? My old pastor, my very first real pastor, I, I got saved at a, a large church where I didn't really know the pastor. My first pastor that I had a relationship with he would say that all the time. He said, today can be the first day of the rest of your life. I can't tell you how many times I've told the Lord that I said, Lord, today is going to be the first day of the rest of my life. I surrender to you again. The night can be that for you as well if it's been a while. Let's all stand. You know, Lord, it's interesting. You, I know, at least I know sometimes I wish you'd just kind of turn off the, the whole free will switch and you'd, you'd make me a robot that would just please you because it seems like so often at least I make not the best decision or I do my own will or I'd, I love other things more than you. Lord, I know that that's probably true for some of our brothers and sisters here tonight too. So new and afresh, Lord, we say to you, all I have is thine, nothing held back. We choose to love you supremely, Lord, to decide life because you are our life. Life is in you and you alone. 
So Lord, as there are many tonight who may be, maybe for the first time, there may be some even, they've never done that before. They've never just said, Lord, I surrender everything to you. Or there are some who are kind of making that recommitment to saying, Lord, it's kind of been doing my own thing for a while and I'm, I haven't really prayed that prayer in a while and I pray it now. Lord, for all those who are making that commitment to you, will you fill them with your spirit, Lord? Will you circumcise their hearts? Will you begin to change them on the inside as they say, Lord, I choose to love you supremely and trust you with all my heart? And Lord, as you do that, will you change them, make them more like you? Lord, that we might shine for you in a dark world, that we might be your witnesses, Lord, that Lord, we might experience that blessing and that goodness in all that we do. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is never far. Even if we have wandered away from him, all we need do is turn around and he is right there, waiting for our return. He is so merciful and willing to forgive. If we would just admit we sinned, turn to Him, and acknowledge we cannot find restoration in ourselves. He will forgive us. He will restore us. He loves us. He loves you. So, don't be afraid to turn to Him when you failed. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523 0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9am to 4pm This has been In the Word with Pastor Will a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play Thank you for joining us today We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.